So you heard it right. Winging It Podcast has been nominated for the Appreciation Award and we need your support. So if you're working from home, raiding the fruit, or having a quick nap, going for a quick drive, make sure you head over to www.theappreciationwards.co.uk look for me on the listener's choice podcast scroll all the way down put your name email address and boom simple things because she had such unmanaged Mm. mental health that she hid from me we never spoke about it culturally Caribbean women in there, she would have been now nearly 80, did not tell their children, I am struggling with my mental health. You don't know, I love a deep topic. I love it. And today we're getting deep. We're getting to a topic that really impacted me um, as I was growing up as a child with a mum who struggled with her own mental health. And I've been blessed with a circle of sisters um, they've also experienced similar stories. And today I have one of my very best friends in life. Um, we call her Kat. We can call her Catherine now. Um, and she's going to talk to me and you about her journey. And hopefully you take something from this. So welcome to Winging It. Kat. Thank you. Because I know that coming here has probably given you the most anxiety. You didn't sleep last night, did you? No. Let's be very real. <laughs> And I know we had to mentally prepare to get on this journey because you have a story that only you can share and tell in the way that you can experience, have experienced it about the impact of mental health. What is mental health to you, though, where you stand in your life? I feel like mental health is a consequence of the things that we go through. I feel like we can't be a diagnosis. We have to understand where it comes from, the experiences mm. people have gone through, and then what that has led to. Um, and how did that impact? How did mental health directly impact you? So my dad had severe manic depression mm. throughout my life. Um, would be very up and down. Wouldn't really know where we were at. Um, so, you know, like in our line of life we talk about being present yeah he was present but not emotionally present if that makes sense so he was a hands-on dad Mm, I'd say he was there he wasn't hands-on like he wouldn't pick you up from school he wouldn't come to your sports days he wouldn't come to your assemblies because he just couldn't manage it It but he had a job a part-time job and was he able to manage that when he was well Mm. to a degree yeah but between like the ages of eight to 12 no and so you as an eight-year-old how did you take that I used to like write him letters and make him breakfast and put things under his bedroom door try and make him better so how did you have an understanding of what mental health was at eight because back then if I'm honest mental health wasn't something that we spoke about no and me and my mum have spoken about that like there was no books and there's nothing that she could read to me and say you know daddy's feeling like this today it wasn't it was like I think I just internalized it I think I knew something wasn't quite right mm. um you know what we're and like. so what did your mum tell you about what daddy's going through I don't think that much oh. she was like super at like just constantly on the go mm. working trying to maintain a house my, yeah. obviously my brother um he struggled he was in his teens at that age so he was going through a lot at school 
Um, but I remember we got, so to try and make him better, we got a dog. Um, okay. But in fact, my dad was so unwell that he started to kind of see the dog as a wolf oh, um, wow. and think, you know, we need to get this wolf out of the house. And it was, yeah, it was a lot. In the end, it actually really did help him, but it took a while yeah, for him. Yeah, because my understanding is that there are like stress pets. So you can have like cats and yeah. dogs that... And I think it's a stroking mechanism and just a calming and, and getting stuff. outside, walking. And, yeah. And so what did mental health look like as a 12-year-old cat? Um, so I think that's when, you know, when we talk about the symptoms start to show itself in us. Mm. Um, I started to struggle with my eating. Um, so you really internalize it. You want your dad to be that dad that everybody else dad is, but he's just not. And when you say struggle with eating, did you stop eating? Stop eating for a while and then developed an eating disorder really so someone like me who can't stop eating <laughs> that's not true you know I can't <laughs> I'm a fatty for life um I don't know what that looks like honestly you know like if you've not experienced something sometimes I can't understand how you're not waking up thinking about food because that's what no, I you do wake up thinking about food but you're thinking I don't want to eat that food or I'm going to make sure if I do that food doesn't stay inside of me right and you know? so you then at a young age develops your own mental health because yeah. eating disorders are mental health of course and it's the symptoms of the family trauma that comes through because you're not say that again say it. that again help me explain that so you've got you as yeah. a kid, yeah. you're not you're internalizing all of this stuff. No one's speaking about it. No one is explaining it to you. So you're in thinking, what is wrong with me? Yeah. And so you develop the symptoms that pass down from your parents. And that's what we were talking about the other day about generational trauma. Yeah. Because like you, my mum had undiagnosed manic depression because she wouldn't seek, you know, black community. Um, she was quite big in her career. She was a nurse manager. And she used to go to work. She was mm. present at work. Mm. She was a functioning, you know, you got functioning alcoholic. She oh, was yeah. a functioning depressive. Yeah. But see when five o'clock come and she'd be at home, she would walk straight to her room and be there in the dark until the next morning. And me as a child in that household, I used to just wander the house by myself. Yeah. My dad was an alcoholic. And so I was on my own for yeah. the majority of my child. So then I got to that age that I would just go out. So I was going out at like eight by myself. And then it got to a point that maybe dinner time, my mum would wonder where I was mm. and then knock on the neighbor's doors. Is, is Cam here? Is she here? Am I down the road? Am I at number 17? Am I at, I had to have two, my first white friend, Sally and Sarah. Wow, um, <laughs> I wasn't the first then. No, you wasn't the first. <laughs> <laughs> Sally and Sarah, I used to go to their house and have tea. Do you know what I mean? Because that's what they did, beans yeah. and toast and that. And they used to feed me. And I think... I was that child in the in the area that probably people felt sorry for because I was a wanderer and I would be that one knocking on the door to say, can she come out to play? Can she come out or can I come in? And and that's embarrassing now to think about. But my mum had no... And I wonder now how that child has manifested in my adult life. Has that made me be that needy person that seeks company because I think I was I thinking do. about that loneliness mm. and I have very much mirror that like it was lonely like my dad's family because of his circumstance so his mum died when he was born mm. um and then his brother went to family but he didn't and then he was told that like his brother wasn't his brother found out that he was so it was a very you know what we know what that does yeah um so we had no family around. Like we saw my mum's grandparents, my mum's parents right. at times, 
but it was lonely. And I think now when we look at us in our adult life, especially in our 20s and early 30s and what we sought out, yeah. we're seeking out that comfort. That, I did. That feeling of being wanted. I nurtured. desperately wanted that feeling of being. And I think a lot of times my decision making to get married, um, I turned 30 and I felt the pressure of, you know, 30, the eggs. But also wanting companionship and locking down companionship. That's what I wanted. I didn't really care who he was, you know. I really was desperate for the family that I never had. Yeah. And that that unit, I was really desperate for it. Because I felt that it could make up for the unit that I didn't have. Yeah. You know. But you got your egg. I got my egg. And I still got and a few. Great. And <laughs> I'm hoping I can put that that the few eggs into use and pop out another one. But you know, man, them I'm about. <laughs> um, so I just I, I really think that my mum's mental health being undiagnosed had a worse impact because she wasn't on medication. But we were talking about the impact of medication yeah. and what did that look like in your household? So I didn't even know that my dad had taken meds from his early 20s. Um, right. So my mum said like he was always, he always struggled with certain things, but my mum's like quite like me. She just gets up, she just gets on with it. Um, and so she just did that. And in a way, I think I look back and she was a massive carer for him mm. in a mental way, in a mental health way. Um, so he took meds throughout his life um, and... I, what I believe now is around that time of eight, he did change his medication, which I think altered how he was functioning. Right. But um, so like three years ago, it would be now, um, you know, like when men get older and they just look at like their health in a different way. So my dad was like, apparently he went to the doctors and said, you know, I don't think I should be taking this medication for the rest of my life. Like what else can you put me on? Um. And so they actually took him off the medication, but my dad didn't talk about that. Um, he didn't tell anyone. We didn't know that he'd come off his meds. And then my sister-in-law, she had a baby um, and she was really sick. So she got sepsis. And what we believe is that my dad's mum had sepsis and that's how she passed away. So this triggered wow. this huge anxiety oh, for real? yeah so we were like he was playing out his past that he never lived but obviously again the generation has come through um and then steadily he declined my mum shout like sheltered us even though we're like adults she didn't tell us the ins and outs of what was really going on um but we knew that he was quite unwell um and then you know I think things just got way too much mm. um he wasn't functioning he wasn't sleeping and in the end, he decided, you know what, it's just too much. And he ended up taking his own life. Yeah. Um, and I hate the word commit suicide because I feel like it's not giving him his own decision. Like, yeah. that's what he decided to do. And it's something that I've never spoken about. And it's the hardest thing. But and why is it the hardest thing? Because you, you sounded like you've used a, a tone of empowerment because it was his choice. So why... Is it a selfish reason that you're struggling because he's chosen to leave you? I think I definitely saw that for a long time. Mm. Um, how could you do this? And there's so many questions that I realise that will never be answered. Um, they're just going to be left. And But I've come to terms with that, I think, in a way. But I want to give him agency. Like, his yeah. life was too difficult. And yeah. in, I think in his head, he was like, 
we'll be better off without him. Yeah. This is too much for us to live with. Mm. Um, and that must be the most difficult decision to make in life. And I think like my mum, she didn't end her life, but her depression manifested into dementia. Louis body dementia is based in depression. And if you have unaddressed mental health concerns, they eventually impact your brain functioning. And Lewy body dementia creates um, hallucinations yeah. and the decline of memory. And it's not shown on scans. So for a long time, we couldn't diagnose her because she was going to memory clinics, but she was also proud that she hid it. So I was the only person for the first five years at New. And she was taking a part-time job in uh, a shop. And she was fired because she was giving wrong change all of the time. She was not remembering what they gave. And, you know, some people are not honest to say, actually, I didn't give you a 50. Yeah. And they'll take the 20 so her till was short. And then that embarrassment and that shame further accelerated her depression. My parents were married for 30 years and they divorced after 30 years, you know. Um, my dad, had, you know, was he was cheating. And so because she had such unmanaged mm. mental health that she hid from me, we never spoke about it. Culturally, Caribbean women in there, she would have been now nearly 80, did not tell their children, yeah. I am struggling with my mental health. We had, you know, superwoman complex yeah. and we just got on or martyr complex. We got on with it. We managed it. I could see it, but I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. There was a time that my mum was locked in her bedroom. As I said, she would do that for the whole weekend. And I decided to make mum some tea because I just, like you know, like you were putting the notes. So I was eight as well. And my mum had these silver trays. And I remember I put the actual whole container of sugar on this silver tray. I put the whole kettle on this silver tray. I put <laughs> the cup, the saucer, and the whole container of tea on the silver tray. So I walked up the stairs oh with this tray and I must have tripped. I had a nightdress on and I must have tripped and the hot water burnt my body. So my nightdress was stuck to my chest and I have bruising down my arm. And my mum came out and she was so angry at me for burning myself. She called me stupid, all sorts of things. But she couldn't understand yeah. that I was coming for her. Yeah. That I just wanted to care for her. And I just wanted her to come out of the bedroom. Yeah. You just wanted to make her better. Yeah. And now my relationship with my mum as an eight-year-old causes me to overcompensate yeah. with my daughter. <laughs> Again, going back to generational. Now I don't sleep in. I don't even stay in my own room. I don't let, I don't nap. If she's awake, I consciously have to be present physically, emotionally. Yeah. I have to let her know that I'm here. I'm here. Let's do something. Let let me. My mum never took me to the park. Not one day. And I, you know me, I've been to every park in South <laughs> London. You and know, we've spoken about this. About. Yeah. Yes. And I find it's really difficult to get out of that routine, though. Yeah. I don't know how to. 
I think you you get a sense of feeling guilty and yeah. you're worried about the impact that will have on her because of the impact it's had on you. Yeah. And I don't want her to be that child that feels that my mum's not here, my dad's not here. Like being a lonely child or not lonely like you've got no stimulation. I had my own room. I don't even remember what was in the room. I don't even have memories. And then that's another thing I worry about. Blocked it. I blocked it. I don't remember my childhood. Yeah, it's very similar. And my sister's told me a story that I was three years old and she came and my parents organised a party for me in my garden. And you don't know, I love a good party. But she came, <laughs> as I said, she was 18 years older than me. So she came to attend the party. Like, coming, she lived in her own flat. So she came and it was like three o'clock and everybody was coming. And I hadn't been bathed. I hadn't had my hair combed. I was wearing clothes from the day before. And she was like, come on, Cam. And my mom, my sister always felt that she had to... Mother you. Mother me. Yeah. And that really impacted our sibling relationship. Yeah. Because it wasn't. She was caring she for was you. She was my mum. Yeah. My mom, when I was born, my mum had postnatal depression really bad. And my sister left college. She quit college to, to look, look after, after me from birth. And I could never repay her for that. I don't know why I feel like I need to, but I do. And she, she's now my mum, my best friend, my yeah. everything. Um, and we have a very unhealthy relationship. Like we cannot go a day without checking it, like just being there for each other. Like, and if she doesn't hear from me, she'll call me nine times or send me WhatsApp, send me messages. And it, it's unhealthy, but we've, we've developed this really dependent yeah. but relationship. Because of you know, the way things have happened, you have only each other in a sense. Yeah. So you look after each other. It is, you could say it's unhealthy, but you could also change that narrative and think, actually, we need each other and we're always, it's someone you can depend on. Yeah. She's there for you. And that feels really good given what you've gone through. Honestly, and I feel worse because she's not in the country because I want that, you know, with me. But then at the same time, when we're together, it's quite overwhelming because that's not <laughs> what I'm used to, you know. And I think for me, I was talking about like Instagram or whatever. And I realised this week, a lot of people have been using the word toxic. Like, yeah. oh, it's my toxic trait. Do you know how that triggers me? Yeah. I think it's... I feel so like you sent me something about toxic the other day and I was like, okay, it, what was it? I don't even remember. We send memes like yeah. 10 times a day. But it, it kills me that people really downplay anxiety mm. or they say, I'm depressed. Bitch, you ain't depressed. Yeah. Like what did... How have we got to the culture of misusing the words anxiety, yeah. misusing the words depression, misusing it? Where, where's that I don't know, from? because then also we can't accept depression and anxiety. So why do we misuse it when we can't even accept it? Like, society cannot accept depression yeah. as an illness. Like, no, what's wrong with you? Get up, get better. Mm. Like, it's real, it's there, and there needs to be so much more to help. Not just the people that struggle with it, but mm. their support network. Yeah. Like I look back to my mum and I mean, to be honest, my dad was in his own world. He didn't really know what was going on, but my mum needed help. My mum, he was seeing a psychiatrist and when they changed his meds, like at the beginning of December, before it all happened, they, she should have called my mum. Yeah. She should have overrid the, you know, the confidentiality because he was not well. Why are you not telling her that he's changing his medication? And it kicked in really quick. Really quickly. So in the 20 something days yeah that was for me end. that was massive so that isn't that like medical neglect of course it is but in her so 
obviously we went to um oh my god what well, got a brain tribunal it yes was, no but, um, uh what's it called again oh my god we went to what is it where you go and you talk about the case. Yeah, and then someone decides what actually happened. <laughs> yeah. Why can't I not think? Am I blocking? <laughs> yeah, blocking. <laughs> anyway, so we went to whatever that's called. <laughs> yeah. um, you got to put the name on the bottom of the screen <laughs> we get it. Yeah. And the psychiatrist, she came to give evidence. And I remember just feeling like, I can't even look at you. I can't speak to you. How dare you neglect my dad? Mm. But then in my fi- line of work, ooh, I remember actually sometimes the confidentiality is really important. Yeah, because he was a grown man. A grown man. And so it's just a fine line, No, but then doesn't um, Dole's come into place? So Dole's is deprivation of liberty. And my mum, I had to go through extensive um, checks to make sure that I wasn't taking the piss out of her financially, um, medical decisions. So if you have someone that has significant mental health, shouldn't they have like a yeah. doll's assessment she should have written up some something to say like if this happens this is who you call mm. but there was no conversations like that and so if my mum had known that the medication had changed and the very clear side effects from that very powerful medication we would might not be in this situation mm. i can't say that i don't want to put it all on her i need to give her forgiveness yeah i do forgive you <laughs> oh yeah um, so cute <laughs> i do um but it was hard to look at her and think are you responsible? Because at that time it was so fresh and new. Yeah. And also I think we have this perception of, you know, people taking their own lives and the way my dad did it was not what you would ever imagine. So the last memories I have of him are so traumatic. Um, Going to hospital and seeing him in a certain way that it is taking me such a long time to be able to be like, okay, it's okay that that happened. And it is what it is but I think some people think there's only a certain way you can do that do you know what I'm trying to say there's so many ways that people can take their own life it's not just what you think and so it's yeah I can't even and he did it on a specific day yeah too and it was around Christmas and all I kept thinking selfishly was she's never going to enjoy Christmas now because you do link like now we Together, we look at Father's Day, mm. and that's a big yeah, day. It's hard. For both of us, both fathers pass in different ways. We look at Mother's Day, because now you think your mum's on her own now. Yeah. You know, I want to be there more for your mum. Then you think of his birthday. Yeah. Then you think of Christmas, and you wonder, are you ever free? Yeah. And then also all the things that, like, recently I've started to go through, like, um, I've taken my partner to meet my mum, mm. and, you know, my dad wasn't there. And for me, it was so loud. You know, mm-hmm. what would my dad think? Would he agree? Would he disagree? What would he be saying? Like, because he was a bit, when he was well, he was so sarcastic and a very big character. Yeah. Um, there's just loads of things. And so your wedding day will come. If I get married. <laughs> Jesus' name. <laughs> and the walking down the aisle thing's going to come. Yeah. That's a whole nother chapter. When you give birth and you have your first child and they say, where's my granddad? And that's what happens to me. My daughter always asks me, where's where's my granddad? Why don't I have a granddad? Did my granddad not love me? And I'm like, whoa. Okay. Yeah. We've got to have that conversation. And there are a lot of conversations. And I just wonder how can we as friends that have, that know. So how can your friends best support you? Um, I think what I really recognize and what I feel like they often say to me is that because I don't talk about it 
this is a big step coming to talk to you about this. I've never spoken about it in this yeah, way. Yeah. So they don't know how to talk to me because mm. I don't talk about it. And yeah. I act like nothing's happened. I get up. But what I've been reading on is that everybody grieves in different ways. Yeah. And I think I am an active griever. You know, I in the first year, me and my best friend, we did the three peaks, which I would never, ever do again. <laughs> and no one can pay me a million pounds. <laughs> yeah. And then the next year... And for all black people, that's that's climbing up <laughs> mountains. We don't know about free pigs. You better just Google it. We don't do that shit. And it was raining and cold and she was eating eat food out of cans and shit. We don't do that. But yeah, she did it anyway. Yeah, my herself. boyfriend tried to claim he did the three peaks. And then I was like, no, babe, you climbed three mountains in Yorkshire. That is yeah, not the yeah, three yeah. peaks. Three peaks is serious. It's like, how many hours did you walk? So you had to do it all within 24 hours. Um, oh, and it's, straight walking in Yeah, and then they're like minibus you. So it's the biggest mountain in Scotland, biggest mountain in Wales, and biggest mountain in England. So yeah, my mum was like, you were grey. <laughs> i never wow. seen you like that before. Um, so then the next year we did the Christmas like gifts, you know, to try yeah. and push my mind away from what was happening. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm going to do my master's. So I feel like I'm trying to inform myself better and we talk about it yeah um and I think it's important I, I don't think you have to have if I can be selfish to say all of your friends that talk no. about it I think you in life you can pick and choose those that have, you have those conversations with and those that can receive because there's not everyone that can receive this information no. and know how to deal with it because it's an open door that's a wound it's a wound that it still isn't healed and may not be healed for several years fully and if you don't, and if you, even your partner, that's, pr let's be real, it's pressure. Yeah. Because it's sensitive and he don't know what to say. He don't know what to ask. He don't know how to ask. And every new man or new friend that you meet and they say, oh, where's your dad? And then you've got to say it again. It's yeah. so hard. Yeah. I don't speak about it. And he said to me, like, you don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help you. Let me, help me help you. Yeah. And then my mentality is quite like yours. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm good. I don't need help. Yeah. Because how can you help me? You, you can't. You can't. You can only help yourself. I think so. And I think we spend a lot of our times focusing around positive literature. Mm. And we are quite passionate about healing ourselves. 100%. But I don't think everybody is. No. I think you have to get to that place. Because you have to face your truth. You have to face your scenario. Face your demons. The things that are holding you back. And I was, you know, talking about forgiveness and I smiled when you said I forgive you because I struggle to say that mm. I am that person that can't forgive I can I prefer to forget and tell everybody I've got early onset dementia <laughs> I and, don't think we should joke about that no <laughs> <laughs> oh my god maybe that's my See? no it's, is that my it's mechanism it dark humor I hate that term but we do me and you use that a lot oh this is what we say and then we're like no that actually happened in our life like <laughs> really that did. really happened like when we think about relationships and stuff, we'll say awful things to each other. I'm like, nope, definitely went through that. Yeah. <laughs> it's really bad that I've just said that. And I've actually, it's minimizing, isn't it? Yeah. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's you actually being like, okay, that did happen, but can't change it. So yeah. let's just move. Let's yeah. move forward. And I think that's why, because of learning. So what would you say is your biggest learning from your dad's experience of mental health? And your own personal experience. So what does 30 plus year old cat, what she, all right, look, my age. Whatever. <laughs> look like, what does she feel about mental health now? Um, I feel like we all have it. Mm. Everybody has it to some degree. 
it's just where you fit on that spectrum like a lot of things in life Mm. let's talk about it if you want to talk about it but also let's heal for our children like let's not let our kids go through what we went through let's talk to them about what actually happened you know in a developmental sense what they understand you know like with your daughter we do talk to her about things and she's quite wise for her age she knows she Mm. tells me all the time this stuff and I'm like okay yeah sure (laughs) (laughs) and And it's important yeah and I think what I've learned is not to pretend Mm -hmm. and you know there was a, a point where my when my mum died and I got the phone call, I cried. And she said to me, Mum, I didn't know you could cry. And for me, that was me recognising that I wasn't showing her what sadness, yeah. what grief, what unhappiness or just a shit day looks like. I remember you telling me that. Like, I can't, before she said that, you weren't crying in front of her. And I'd you gone said through a me, divorce. I can't I'd, cry. I can't. You need to show her. And even now, I really struggle to cry. I could more cry over a soppy advert, so weird, than my real shit. Like, I just <clears throat> suck it up and keep it moving. Because not that I think crying is weak. Because when other people cry, I don't think it's weak. But when I do, I feel weak. I feel really weak crying and I don't know why. And I don't get this whole fucking cleansing malarkey. You don't feel cleansing to no, me. No, no, <laughs> But let's go backwards. Did your mum ever cry? I don't know. She was in her room. Did your dad ever cry? He was drunk. Did your sister ever cry? She didn't live with me. So you've never been shown that it's okay to cry? Yeah. How can you know that it's okay to do something if you're not shown it? You know what we think about development it's so important as a kid yeah. that we're shown all of these things. It's mm. okay to feel like this. How do you feel? Like, you know, when we talk about time out in our work, yeah. I'm like, no, let's do time in. Let's sit with our kids and think, mm. how are you feeling right now? Talk to me. Be curious. Why did you just have that anger episode? Mm. But also it's okay to feel angry. Yeah, we're going to yeah. feel angry. Yeah, that's true, you know. Are we getting soft though? Because all of this softy, softy is, and I, and I, you know, no, I'm, no, no. There's a difference between being curious and just kids I, some also need discipline. Like yeah. there's a boundary. But don't you think it works differently around cultures? Because you know, on the grand scale of things, white families are different to mm. African families. You guys sit down and you talk over tea and supper, where the African family would be. Do the position on the wall and <laughs> you hold your hand up. Hey, and you hold your foot and make it go like this. Yeah. It's different. It's so how do you how do you expect parents? You just said to me, it's what you've been shown. If you as an African man in 2021 has always been shown a hardness to emotion, that emotion is weak, that you discipline through physical punishment, how do you change now? It's what we talk... Okay, so let's firstly address the white perception. <laughs> we didn't talk about feelings in our house. That's why I said to you... I, so what, I, not like the Brady Bunch? No, we didn't I thought you always like that. No. <laughs> Little house on the prairie. This no? is what I live in. <laughs> um, no. That isn't what happens. As I said to you, night, we didn't know boy. what was going on. Good night, cat. Good night, James. <laughs> I could just... Yeah, anyway, let's not go there. <laughs> um... No, but again, okay, so let's be informed. We mm. weren't showing things, yeah. but we know to be different. Yeah. Like, 
we have to inform ourselves to change and think about why that passed down what was going on for you know parents Mm. so you know you're talking about african people um generation coming down what was it like for their parents a lot of them were first generation coming here having to cope with so much stuff racism poverty stuff that i can never imagine Mm. so what was happening for them so you have to take it a step further and think okay that's what my dad or my mom is showing me i can't be angry about that i have to understand why And it's about parental forgiveness yeah. because I do think generational trauma can hold you back and we need to actively be set free from the things that don't serve us. Yeah. And it's about acknowledging first what doesn't serve you and then actively working around it. But it's about being honest with yourself first. Because if you were a child that endured that physical chastisement, maybe bring yourself back to childhood and say, how did that make me feel? What would I have rather my mum had done? How would the message of good behaviour better have been translated versus now? Because sometimes, you know, my little cousin used to get beaten and he would be like, that didn't even hurt. That didn't even hurt and it didn't do anything for him. Whereas I know the disappointment when I say mum's disappointed in you, my daughter feels away. But then, you know, what I realized as well, I was doing the other day, I was being emotionally manipulative and I realized my mum loved me through guilt Mm. and I started to do that with her. And I had to. What did that look like? So that looked like, oh, you're going out, you're going out. So my mum would say, oh, you got, I was a teenager oh, you don't want to spend time with your mum? I'm like, but I'm 25. I'm going out. Oh, okay. Your old mum is here. I guess you don't want to, I guess you don't love her like you used to. Mm. I guess you used to be home. You know, it was very guilty. When I first started hosting, I would tell them I'm going to do a show. Oh, why would you rather perform in front of all these people than sit here with me and watch a good telly? And I realised that was unhealthy it it made me feel really bad about everything every decision that I made I either lied and told her I was going to work because she would she was out at work but anything for me and that's where I stopped because I then started a really bad habit of not doing anything for me I felt guilty I even feel guilty now when my daughter says what did you do this weekend that I wasn't here oh nothing I just sat on the bed and waited for you to come home like you never tell her you see me if I'm not never if she's not there I never do. No. I don't do anything. I sit and I wait for you to come back. That's so not healthy. what did you do when you felt you saw yourself doing that to her? What was happening? I haven't changed it yet. It's a work in progress, all right? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll help you dissect that later. <laughs> I don't, you know, there's certain things that's not going to happen overnight. Let's be real. Because mental health, trauma, generational shit is deep-rooted, deep-seated. And there's a lot of misconceptions that we have to address. And I want us to, to change. I want better for our lives. I want better for our children's lives. I want better for our families' lives. Yeah. But I just don't know if there are the resources to do that. And I don't think everybody's ready. No, everybody is not ready. And we can't force this on people that are not ready. Because if you're not ready, nothing will change. But that means you go into really toxic relationships over and over again. I'm going to talk about the men Mm. that have issues that meet women 
the narcissists. Let's talk about them. Let's give them a little five minutes because that's all they deserve. <laughs> the narcissists that have childhood trauma that then come and put your shit on me. You know, yeah. we love a good narcissist. Yeah. But we were attracted to them, weren't we? Were. we? Why were we attracted to the narcissists? Because we were codependent. Why were we codependent? Because of what we went through. So we are seeing our parents in these people. That's what it is. We want to heal them. And in our 20s, we had a lot of conversations about, but no. And we would always find a reason to why they behave that way. When actually, uh, no, it's not acceptable. And I don't need to take on your reason. Right. And I don't need to take on your shit. No, I got enough of it. Right. I'm not accountable for your failings or your mum's failings or your granny's failings or the fact that... So no one was there for you and the man them let you down and you went pen for five years and no one visited you. Ra ra rata. Now you don't trust no gal and your baby mother cheated on you. Is that my bag? No. Of course it's not. But we made Should it. I leave we him, made it. Should I still date him? See that guy? We can't leave. We didn't leave. It was impossible. <laughs> Can I leave now? You have left, don't worry. Because <laughs> that, that's what happens. We meet the guys that... Hmm. Oh dear. When I think about the guys... It's traumatic to experience it and to be in that relationship, but yet we endure. Why do people stick in relationships that are mentally challenging for them? Because we're always wanting to heal. It goes back to this, you know, you as that eight-year-old child, you wanted your mum to get better, Mm. so you stayed. And you as a 25-year-old wanted your mum to feel good, so you stayed. Mm. You're doing the same thing in relationships. You're staying because you want them to get better. You want to be enough. You want to be enough to make them better. But they say relationships are hard. You've got to work at it. There's a difference between hard and toxic. (laughs) That's what we can use the word toxic. Yeah. You are enough, but you have to believe you're enough. Yeah. And that has to become for any relationship. And stop. See, I'm out personally out of the construction business. I'm no longer looking for projects. She's outside. I'm outside <laughs> and I'm no longer looking for men that need fixing or working. I'm not a plumber. I'm not an electrician. I am not mm-hmm. a bricklayer. I've... I've yeah. come out of that. I'm no. I'm not doing blue collar work no more. I'm a white collar worker. I'm looking <laughs> to go hackers. You know them ones there, <laughs> not the one in Norbury. Those that know know. I'm looking to go real places with real people that have real stuff. So I have made an active decision not to look for projects. But sometimes I feel that that's really harsh because I'm saying the man that hasn't got his shit together right now, and is working through his stuff, he's not worthy of a relationship. I think there's a difference between having your shit together and being abusive. Mm. You cannot have all your shit together, but still be a good person, an honest person, a kind person, a loving person. And then there's just abusive. Yeah. Like you, you might meet someone that isn't quite there, but you can see actually this person's gone through this and they're dealing with it in this way. That's okay. And what impact did being in an abusive relationship have on you? Oh, we're going there. We're going there. (laughs) Oh, it was a lot. Um, As a friend, you lost yourself for a hot minute. Yeah. And I'm talking about two years a minute. It was like longer than that. It was was four years, but I felt like I lost myself for two. I remember sat that was sad to watch, you know. (sighs) It was sad to be in it. Um, I remember sitting on ste- some stairs with you and I come to see you and we took out your daughter and she was just playing. I think her sisters were there. Mm. And you said to me, I'm really worried about you. This abuse has, I don't know my friend. Yeah. I didn't know me. 
like I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat. But bear in mind, I'm going through this while I just lost my dad. Yeah. And I I couldn't see through anything. Nothing. And I couldn't see an end. And I felt not, you know, not that I look at friendships as projects either. This is someone. <laughs> I'm a know, project. <laughs> you were a project at the time. And I was like, this ain't, you ain't going to take my friend out. Because also as a friend, knowing how your dad died, that's what my worry is for you too. Oh, yeah. I do panic about that. I do think shit. Because you don't know if these things are hereditary. You don't know. You just don't know. And people don't talk. Not everyone talks about where they are and how deep. Sometimes I'm in a really deep, dark place and I am not the one to talk. You know, I just won't answer. And then everybody's got to send out the fire brigade and shit. That's how I deal with my stress. I hide. I bury myself. And that's something that I'm working through. And being a friend of someone that's going through an abusive relationship or a mental health breakdown, it is the most tragic place to be. You feel so unhelpful. You feel like you are not being a good friend. You just you just feel that. And I wanted to shake you up. You know, it's got to the point that I've texted certain men and them things. You know, like I got actively involved in certain, certain scenarios and I should have kept my mouth quiet. No, that was... <laughs> A bit of a craziness, <laughs> but but that's what friends do. No, no, I'm, I'm right or die. I'm pleased got you. that you did that. I just didn't expect the stuff that was spoken about. But no, like, listen, it destroyed me, mm. and you can't help that person. Like, yeah. everybody was there for me. I have the best friends. Mm. Like, and that's something that I really just will be me be with me forever. Like, my close circle. Pff, Hands down, the best friends in the world. Yeah, they are. They're great. They're, They're great girls. Just insane. They're great and girls. They're great. You can't like m- my best friend Jenna. She would sit with me and she would listen. And there's nothing that she can do. She mm-hmm. can just be present with me. Yeah. She couldn't stop what was happening. It was only up for me to do that. And in the end, I, I did. And I feel so proud of myself. Because I'm bloody proud of you. Like we're coming to the end of this podcast, and I can say that you are becoming self-actualized, as they say. You are reaching your full potential. You are healing. You're working. You are becoming the amazing human being that I know you to be. And I am proud of you. And I will continue. And, you know, if if there are people that have friends like that, I want them to tell them that they're proud because life is not promised. And we can leave here today and not have tomorrow. And tell your friends that you love them and tell them that you're there for them and tell them that you're proud of them. And I know that you are here for me and I know you've got me in the way that I have you. And I know today was the biggest hurdle that you crossed for me. And that means the world because you told your truth on my 1.5 viewers, million, 1.5 viewers <laughs> that are going to watch this podcast. And it means everything. And I will never forget this. So it has been a pleasure having you on Winging It. Thank you, Kat. You are the same though. You need to remember that. You're like one of the best friends. And I don't say that lightly. Thanks. Bye, guys.